Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. Hi, my name is Israel Herndon, and I am guest hosting five special episodes with participants from the 2022 Summer Institute on Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx Studies, funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities. This two-week conference was hosted by the Afro-Latinidad Studies Institute, which also runs this podcast. And today I'm excited to be here with Dr. Regan Gillum. Dr. Gillum is an associate professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Southern California. Her research examines black cultural politics and racial dynamics in Brazil. Her book, Visualizing Black Lives, Ownership and Control in Afro-Brazilian Media, examines how Afro-Brazilians format anti-racism through media production. Her next project, Diasporic Agency, examines how Afro-Brazilians leverage African-American people, history, and culture in ways that challenge Brazilian racial exceptionalism. Her research has been published in the Communication, Culture, and Critique, Black Camera, Visual Anthropology Review, Transforming Anthropology, Journal of Latin American and Caribbean Anthropology, among other places. She is a host at the New Books Network podcast, where she interviews authors about their recent published books. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gillum. Thank you so much for having me, Israel. I'm so delighted to be here. Yes, I'm so glad that we get to kick things off. And just to get started, how, how did you first become interested in research in Afro-Latinidad? What are some of the experiences that shaped your scholarship? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I have a short little, little spiel, I guess, that begins when I was in uh, undergrad at the University of Virginia. I was a major in, a double major in African-American studies and anthropology. And I was fortunate enough to attend an event where an Afro-Colombian activist came and talked talked with us about social movements in Colombia. And it was a woman. And I remember the event because we were sitting in this tiny little room. There might have been like five of us in there. And she was just there telling us about, you know, what was going on in Colombia. And so that alerted me to a couple things. So it alerted me to the fact that there are um, black people in Latin America. This was about 2000. Um, and so I did not know much of the scope of the African diaspora. I think at that point, I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as I, as I told you before we got started. And um, at that time, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't really aware of that many different African descendant populations from other places, maybe from the Caribbean, maybe from, you know, from Africa, like from my classmates, but um, I was definitely not familiar with the rest of Latin America and, and what was going on there. So seeing this activist really kind of alerted me to the fact that there are black people in Latin America and that there are social movements going on, um, that there are people engaged in like protracted struggles. Um, and so after that, I, it kind of sparked my interest. And so I took classes in Afro-Latin America with uh, Brian Owensby, who was a professor in history. I took a class on the African diaspora with Mika Brand, who was an anthropologist. I took a class on Brazilian history and culture with David Haberly. Um, and then I took other classes like on um, black culture and anthropology with someone named Hanan Sabia and Wendy Marshall, who were like two formative professors for me. 
So as I learned more about Brazil, I, I became intrigued and in Latin America in general, I just became intrigued with the racial dynamics there with the idea that racial mixture was central to understanding racial dynamics and that racial categories seemed more fluid and elastic than in the United States, which seemed to have more fixed racial categories. So after that, after um, undergrad, I decided to pursue um, a PhD in college and to continue studying Latin America. I decided to kind of divert to Brazil because Colombia at that time was uh, having its own challenges around you know, its own war. And so I, it just kind of shifted my, my um, attention to Brazil, I guess. And so I began to travel to Brazil, learn Portuguese, um, speak with people, begin my study. And of course, I realized that despite these ideas that Brazilians are all racially mixed, you know, that, you know, that there is structural racism and that mm, there is yes. anti-Black <laughs> racism, uh, which is probably a very common, um, you know, discovery. And so this was around like 2004, um, I guess. And so... Uh, and so basically, you know, again, like you, you, you just kind of see it once you actually arrive there that despite these, you know, dominant ideas that there is no racism, you still see that there are like white and lighter Brazilians in government in you know, jobs with the highest wages um, in universities in the nicest neighborhoods. Um, but then I also like discovered, um, you know, Afro-Brazilian culture through things like samba and music and candomblé and food and the arts. Um, and so I learned a lot about this black resistance to the structural racism and um, and this activism that's constantly pushing against these boundaries. Um, and so I wanted to make this resistance and cultural production visible and then basically like share it with anyone who will listen. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that what you're talking about too is something that we reoccurringly hear about the ideas around visibility and resistance, which I also think connects a little bit to your work with Afro-Brazilians in media, and then also with some of the other issues that a lot of folks, at least in the classes that I've taken on Latin America, about transnational solidarities and things of that nature. But in your own words, how would you describe the work that you do or your scholarship? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I am interested in racial equity and I guess advancement for black people. And when I say advancement, I mean, um, I basically want black people to have um, opportunities and to be treated well and to be able to you know, reach their own individual and collective potential. Um, I also want more dynamic and complex images of black people in media. Um, I think Black people deserve representations that reflect us and that entertain us and that raise consciousness around Black history and culture. So as you said, um, the scope of my work focuses on media produced by Black Brazilians in Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, which I've published in different articles and then in my book, um, which is called Visualizing Black Lives, Ownership and Control in Afro-Brazilian Media from University of Illinois Press. And basically there, I'm arguing that media produced by Black Brazilians is a means to foment um, anti-racism. And so I'm just gonna say just a little bit about the media. So as I, as I had said before, as I discovered that, you know, Black Brazilians are not in many of these different spaces, um, they're also like not in the mainstream media. And so mainstream media in Brazil is largely white um, and it shuts out many Afro-Brazilians. And so despite Afro-Brazilians making up 
around 50% of the population. You might see them in like maybe 6% of the roles on television. And in those roles, um, they'll also be like these, usually these stereotypical roles where they're playing mm. like maids or service workers or, or something like that. So even, even those roles are kind of constrained, I think. Um, but then when you look at how Afro-Brazilians produced um, their own television programs, um, films, illustrations, um, and then just general protests around media, um, they you, you see that they make more dynamic representations of Black people. Um, and so I'm, I'm arguing that, you know, when Afro-Brazilians take up the camera, they're demanding the ability to, um, like, ascribe meaning to their own identities and to, you know, that, that they have you know, that, that they have an idea of what blackness means and that they want to, you know, put that forward in their own media, not what the mainstream media wants us to ascribe to blackness. Um, and so I notice, and as I said, like in the mainstream media, you see blackness associated with servitude. Um, and so in Afro-Brazilian media, you'll see a variety of different kinds of roles and categories that people are, um, that people occupy, such as like middle-class status, um, people like children, um, uh, um, kind of a, like cartoon figures. Um, they'll show people who are like the protagonists of their own story. Um, and so they'll also show like history and culture. So you see different kinds of, a lot of different, more dynamic representations of blackness. And, um, and just one example is like in my book, I look at this television network and it's called the TV de Genshi television network or the Our TV television network. And it was the first television network in Brazil to uh, claim to represent blackness. And they began in 2005. And, and one of the shows that I look at is called A Question of Rights. And the host there interviews different guests. And many of them were like, middle class, like doctors and lawyers and judges. Um, and so so that's just one example of where you see, you know, these different kinds of roles that um, that black people occupy and how they were trying to take ownership over the media in order to produce the kinds of images that they wanted. Mm. Yeah, and that's definitely very important. And I think the black studies major in me is hearing the whole concept of self-determination um, and the importance of that in Black communities. Mm -hmm. And um, as one of our participants in the NEH Transnational Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad Conference, how did the conference expand on your previous scholarship? Yeah, the 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 Transnational Dialogues uh, NEH Conference was an amazing um, experience and opportunity. I was delighted to be chosen and I feel really grateful to have attended it. Um, because it was an opportunity to expand on and really deepen my studies. Um, my main focus has been on Brazil, as I've just mentioned. And I think the Institute gave me this opportunity to expand regionally and disciplinarily. Um, I'm an anthropologist, which means that I study like contemporary, um, like living people. And I use ethnography as one of my methods. So I'm usually like interviewing people, I'm observing people, I'm uh, participating with people and doing things. Um, and so at the Institute, I was exposed to historians who were doing work on Afro-Latin America. Um, one of them, like George Reed Andrews, presented about, for example, Black newspapers. Um, Sherwin, Sherwin K. Bryant, um, who's a professor, I think, at Northwestern, talked about slavery and Afro-Ecuador. And so, and these are just areas that I don't generally get to uh, examine that closely because I'm so 
usually focused on anthropology and the social sciences. Mm -hmm. So I was delighted to learn more about slavery and, and then slavery. And then it, it was also like a regional expansion for me because Sherwin K. Bryan is talking about the Pacific and slavery, I think in Ecuador. Um, and this is not a place that I encounter often in my studies. And then um, as far as like other methods, um, Nancy Mirabal talked about um, oral history and her examination of Afro-Cubans in, in New York City. And, and there was a lot of like visual materials, like photos and, um, and like I said, the, the black newspapers. Um, so that, that was expansive for me. And then the, the last thing I'll say is that it expanded my kind of view into kind of Afro-Latin America and different institutions. Um, like NEMOC, where, um, which is the National Museum of African American History and Culture, where um, Ariana Curtis, who I think is a curator at NEMOC, and she came and talked about how the museum is collecting material from Afro-Latin Americans and how she talked about, I think the one of the first objects of the museum was this small bench brought by this um, Afro-Latin American man to the collection that he wanted to be put in the museum. Um, so I thought that was just a very powerful story. And um, and, it and her presentation kind of talked about how Afro-Latin material culture, um, you know, can, can belong with United States Black cultural institutions. Mm. Yeah, and it's nice to see kind of, since you're working more with television media than talking about photos and just that other type of, media. So I'm glad that it was able to kind of expand your mind in those ways. Um, and then what were some of your favorite topics or moments? I know you talked a lot about the scholars that were interested, that were interesting to you, but what were some of your favorites? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the moments. So the 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 institute was, I think, about two weeks long, and um and so we had like you know weekends and uh and we had so many different kinds of activities. Like we were in the classroom hearing lectures, but then also taking these kind of like field trips and these different um you know these different trips. And so one of my favorite uh, moments was visiting the Roberto Clemente Museum. Um, and so the museum is, you know, again, filled with pictures and memorabilia and material culture related to baseball in relation to Clemente. And I didn't really know much about his story. I'd, I'd heard his name, so I wasn't, I wasn't unfamiliar with his name, but I, but I realized I didn't really know anything about him. And so I thought the guide really gave us a great tour of the museum and like told us his story as he was, as he was going through the museum. And, you know, he talked about him playing with the Pittsburgh Pirates and coming from Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, talked about his career as a, you know, a, as a star baseball player. Um, and then like the legacy that he left with his family and his baseball statistics, but also like with his service, like I didn't realize how much he, mm. he had done, you know, done for the community. So that was just really, um, I was, that was great. I, I loved it. Um, other favorite moments were like interacting with my institute participants. Um, like we got together for lunch after the institute and sometimes on weekends and, you know, people came from all over the country and had so many different projects. And so it was really nice to learn from them and learn about what people are doing. And, you know, it kind of gave me a sense of this, you know, growing field. And then um, the last thing I'll say was my favorite was the city of Pittsburgh. So as I, as I said earlier, 
As I said earlier, I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, so I'm from the eastern part of the state. And we never really came west very often, which I realized. Mm. Um, and my dad's family is from Philadelphia, so we would go like east and to other places like New York City and Washington, D.C. But Pittsburgh is such a beautiful city. Um, I took the bus all over the city to just different parts. Um, I went to the August Wilson Cultural Center. I went to the Frick, which... Um, I think is a museum and it had an exhibition of Romare Bearden. Um, I went to the Carnegie Museum of Art and they had an exhibition of Gordon Parks in Pittsburgh. So I had I had a great time exploring Pittsburgh and its cultural cultural institutions and it was just phenomenal. Ah uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you had a great time here in Pittsburgh. And also too, I think even for myself and even people who are more familiar with the Pittsburgh area, where even for me, like Roberto Clemente Ave, like, which is right on the Pitt campus. I think people are aware of who he is and he has a statue at, um, in the city, but at the same time, yeah, I wasn't really super aware of his activism or, um, and so it was really cool to be able to go to the museum and see some of those more dynamic parts of him. So even I really enjoyed that as well. Mm -hmm. And then what were some of your key takeaways from the conference that now it's like you've you spent these two weeks with all of these folks and then returning back to uh, University of Southern California? What were some of those things that you brought back with you? Yeah, I brought back um, a lot. But one of the things I brought back was this <clears throat> understanding that I guess like the field of Afro-Latin American studies is growing and, you know, we're not so isolated and I think that, you know, we may, we constitute in ourselves like a learning community and that there's this increasing interest in the field. And so, like I said, I started this research in, in like 2003, um, but I became kind of interested in this in, in 2000. And, and so I'm old enough to remember, and I know there are people who, who have been doing this longer than me. So I don't, you know, sit here and think that I'm, you know, somehow the, the the first person to do any of these things, but um, but I'm old. I am old enough to remember that when people um would really get into these kind of like conflicts at conferences where they where whenever the subject of like race in Latin America came up, there would be these you know panels where people would talk about you know experiences of Afro Latin Americas and different Afro Latin Americans in different countries like Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Brazil. And then someone would inevitably say something like, you know, but we don't have that in Latin America, like we don't have racism. Mm. And so you'd have these like conflicts at these panels and, and you'd have these comments that would kind of silence the panel. And then the panel would be put on, um, you know, on the defense. So they'd have to basically defend everything that they'd already just presented on the panel. Um, and so then the panel would become whether there is racism or not in Latin America. And so my point in saying this is that this, this used to be a very like, not that it's not still contested, but you used to see these like open um, contestations in, you know, in these conferences. And so at this conference, um, seeing the, the National Endowment for the Humanities and seeing so many people being interested in it, that it, you know, one of my takeaways is to, is the understanding that, you know, Afro-Latin America is, is becoming much more of a understood sort of area of study that it's less it's less contested you know people were not arguing like are there black people in latin america or not you know that's that's not necessarily that was not you know up for debate necessarily at this at the institute and so we're kind of i think moving beyond those days in the field um and so 
and then I think this is also happening in conjunction with with black people in Latin America themselves becoming more vocal about these about these circumstances. And so, um, yeah, so th those are some of the things I took away that the, that the field is expanding, it's growing, and that, you know, we're moving beyond some of these past debates, probably to take up new debates and new, you know, mm. new questions, um, which I think is, is exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's cool to having edited a lot of the episodes for this podcast to see scholars from different eras, just some of the things that have transformed and stayed the same. So it is definitely amazing that we're now kind of able to ask new questions and go to other places as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to kind of wrap things up, in addition to your scholarship, what are a few resources that some of our listeners can check out if they want to learn more about some of the things that they're hearing you talk about that may be of interest to them? Yeah, I think one thing I would recommend is a film. Um, it's a short film. It's a 15-minute film. And I teach it. I teach it in my class. I do talk about it in my book, but um, but you don't have to read my book to watch the film. Um, and it's called Colors and Booths, and it's directed by Juliana Vincenci, and it's on YouTube, and it has subtitles in English. So that's these are all the reasons why I recommend the film. It's highly um, highly accessible um, if you have an internet connection, and like I said, it has um, it has a. Uh, subtitles. And so the film is about a young black girl named Joana. It's it's in Brazil. It's set in Brazil. And the girl, um, she has like this full head of like curly hair. Um, and she's like this brown skinned girl. And the show takes place, I think, kind of in the 80s. And the girl, Joana, she wants to try out for this show. And it's called the Shusha Show. And Shusha was this um, celebrity in Brazil. She's still kind of a celebrity. And um, and she's this white actress. She's of German descent. So she has like light, very light eyes, blonde hair. Um, she's, she's just very white. Um, and she was the star of the show. And she had this these backup dancers who used to dance behind her and they were also all white and they also had blonde hair. Um, and so the, the girl, Joanna, who's this black girl, she wants to try out for this show and, um, and so you can see that the 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 film you know follows her journey and trying to try out but you you see you know the limits of her ability to actually make it onto this show because she doesn't look everyone looks the same way and mm. she does not look like any of them and so it becomes you know clear that this is going to be an uphill battle um but the film really it just shows you know how like racism is enacted through exclusion on the television um you see these like aspirations of a black girl um, that, that are kind of, you know, hampered because of issues of race and beauty. Um, and you see how, like, how the dominant standard of beauty is like white and blonde with, with light eyes on the show. Um, and then again, it's like 15 minutes and you, and it, but the black girl is the protagonist of the show. She is the center. And it also shows scenes like with her family and, um, and her life as well. So it kind of builds out this life around her. Um, so that's, that's a, a resource that I would, um, recommend. The film is called Colors and Boots, um, by Juliana Vincenci. And like I said, it's on YouTube. Oh, that's fantastic. I love a short film. So I will definitely be checking that out. Um, and if you're having, for those of our listeners, if you're having any issues finding the film, um, there will also be a link available on michellereedvasquez.com where you can access this resource. 
and uh, some of Dr. Gillum's books. And thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Gillum. Thank you for your time and for your expertise. And can't wait to see what else um, we hear from you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latin Yvonne, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast.